as we kick off season two of Exploring Food Allergy Families, this episode is all about therapy. We'll cover why people might decide to seek out counseling, who provides these services, what types of counseling services there are, and how to determine which is right for you, and where to find therapists. Welcome to Exploring Food Allergy Families, a podcast with real talk, relatable conversations, and practical tips focused on navigating the impacts that food allergies have on families, relationships, and mental health. I'm Tamara Hubbard, licensed therapist and the host of Exploring Food Allergy Families. Please remember that while this podcast offers general advice, it should never replace medical or mental health care guidance from your own healthcare team. I know it's been a while since I ended season one, and I truly wasn't expecting to take such a long hiatus between seasons, but you know, the pandemic and all. So how are you all doing after a year of historical events? I'll be totally honest with you. I have felt so many different emotions during the past 12 months and an exhaustion that I didn't know existed, and I'm a therapist. I think so many of us have been navigating burnout of some sort this past year. Maybe it's related to work or remote learning, parenting, or just burnout from all the information overload and whiplash. So let's all collectively take a second for a deep breath here. Okay, so today we're going to explore the topic of counseling or therapy, and I'm going to use these terms interchangeably throughout the episode. Who couldn't use more support right now? a time when most of us are still just trying to keep our heads above water as we're continually weighed down by pandemic fatigue and maybe even compassion fatigue. We're going to explore four things to know about therapy, why people might decide to seek out therapy, who provides these services, what types of counseling services there are, and how to determine which is right for you, and where to find therapists, food allergy or otherwise. So just how much has mental health been impacted over the last 12 months? Well, psychiatrist Dr. Jesse Gold mentioned in a recent Forbes article that a recent Gallup poll showed Americans' assessment of their own mental health is worse than it has been at any point in the last two decades. Yeah, it's been impacted for sure. But are we truly surprised by this stat? These past 12 months have been very trying, even for the most resilient people. Yeah, there are some that have navigated this pandemic pretty well, but a large number of us, including children and teens, have experienced increased anxiety and depression over this last year, and that's understandable. Even now, as states are opening back up, people are experiencing increased stress. While it's great to begin to welcome some normalcy back, because we've been at pandemic life for so long, welcoming back normalcy is a big change. And what do we know about change? Well, many find transition hard. They find it overwhelming and anxiety-provoking, which is pretty normal. So it's important to be on the lookout for and open to all the thoughts and emotions that you and your kids may feel as these transitions start to happen. But what if the thoughts and feelings become so overwhelming that it starts to impact daily life or leads to not being able to function well? Then counseling could definitely be helpful. And maybe you've already explored it in the last 12 months. So let's jump right in and explore counseling in depth to give you a better understanding in case you find yourself or someone you know needing more support in the coming months. 
Number one, why? Why might people decide to seek out therapy? Counseling is an opportunity to explore and process your internal and external experiences with a trained professional who can offer insight and guidance. People typically reach out for counseling or therapy when they feel unable to effectively manage thoughts or feelings or are dealing with a stressful situation in life and feel they don't have the ability to navigate it on their own. Some common times people will seek out therapy are when they're experiencing overwhelming anxiety, depression, suicidal ideations, or other overwhelming internal experiences, after experiencing or witnessing traumatic events, when feeling unprepared for new life phases or during new life transitions, such as going from high school to college, college to adulthood, or becoming a parent, when struggling with an important decision and uncertainty on which path to choose, when relationships are strained or causing stress, or when a medical event happens or a medical condition becomes a part of your life. Additionally, if you're a parent, here are some reasons why you might consider counseling for your child. Your child might be experiencing excessive worry about the future, feeling overwhelmed on a consistent basis, or is unable to function optimally on a daily basis. You might be observing noticeable significant changes in behaviors, such as eating, sleeping, or school habit changes. You might see problematic behaviors are happening in multiple areas of life, such as at school and with academic performance, withdrawing from friendships or activities, or increased conflict at home with family members. You might also notice a shift in self-esteem, self-worth, or confidence. Your child might be engaging in self-destructive behaviors or negative self-talk or expresses hopelessness or suicidal ideations. Now, I mentioned a lot, but it's important to remember that it's normal for kids, or anyone for that matter, to have mood changes and feel up and down some days or navigate struggles in life. But you know yourself and your child best. So if your gut says you or your child could use more support, it's worth listening to that instinct. Now, therapy isn't just for those who are experiencing tough times or problems in their lives. Attending therapy proactively can also be beneficial. So why might someone proactively seek out counseling? Common reasons are to gain more insight into themselves, their values, or goals in their life. For skill development, such as developing coping strategies, goal setting, and decision-making skills. Or to enhance relationships by learning more effective skills and strategies, such as communication skills, connection skills, getting closer to somebody. No matter when or why someone feels it's time to seek out counseling, it's always helpful to remember that it's truly a sign of strength to acknowledge that you need support. All right, let's move on to number two, who. Who provides therapy? Well, there's a variety of qualified professionals that are licensed to provide counseling or therapy services. There are psychologists, counselors, social workers, and marriage and family therapists, to name a few. All of these professionals may refer to themselves as therapists, but their degrees and licenses are different. Depending on the reason you're seeking therapy, these differences may or may not impact your therapist's choice. Here are some of the similarities between all of these providers. If they're fully licensed, meaning they've done all of their training and they've done all their clinical work and now they can independently work as a therapist, they're going to hold a state license, which is subject to professional regulations. They'll also typically serve clients directly. They'll be able to be reimbursed by most insurances, although they can choose not to use insurance in their practice. 
and they seek to improve the quality of life and health outcomes for their clients. Those are things they have in common. Now, here are the specifics to each profession and why you might choose to seek one out over another. Counselors, social workers, and marriage and family therapists typically have master's degrees, although their clinical training and focuses do differ. Now, here are the specifics to each profession and why you might seek one out over the other. Counselors, social workers, and marriage and family therapists typically have master's degrees, although their clinical training and focuses do differ from each other. For instance, marriage and family therapists are trained in systems theory, so they truly understand family and relationship dynamics. I myself was trained in marriage and family therapy. However, in therapy, all of these professions will primarily focus on helping people achieve their therapeutic goals, and they may choose to work with just individuals or incorporate couples in family therapy as well. Depending on the state you live in, licensed clinical professional counselors are typically identified with the letters after their name of LCPC or LPC. Social workers are typically identified as LCSWs. And marriage and family therapists are identified as LMFTs. These are the letters you'll see after their name, which will tell you what kind of degree or training they've had. Psychologists have a doctorate degree and will include a PsyD, that's P-S-Y-D, or PhD at the end of their names. In addition to providing therapy, psychologists can also administer testing, such as tests to evaluate neurological function or various mental health or learning-related diagnoses. They're also commonly focusing on disorder-specific therapy and may be involved in research. If you're looking to have testing done, such as to explore a potential ADHD diagnosis, you'll want to seek out a psychologist. However, if you're looking for therapy or counseling, any of these providers may work. It will simply depend on what you're looking to work on, approach preferences, and logistics, such as who takes your insurance and who's in your area. Which leads me to number three, what? What types of therapy are there and how do you determine which is best for you? As I previously mentioned, therapy can take place with just the individual, or people might seek out couples and family therapy as well. Sometimes just a specific part of the family might attend therapy too, not the whole family. Beyond the logistics of who attends counseling sessions, it's helpful to know some of the more common therapeutic approaches and focuses therapists may use. So let's go through some of those. CBT, or Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, is an evidence-based approach that focuses on identifying unhelpful thinking patterns, understanding and changing problematic actions, and developing effective coping skills. ACT, or Acceptance and Commitment Therapy, is also evidence-based, but differs in its approach. ACT encourages the acceptance of all thoughts and feelings, even the ones we might want to label as bad or negative and recognizes that uncomfortable thoughts and feelings are a normal part of life. The therapy focuses on strategies to fully engage in life even while experiencing strong thoughts and emotions. And it's important to note that the acceptance part of ACT does not mean that you have to like everything. Exposure therapy has been scientifically demonstrated to be a helpful treatment or approach for problems such as phobias, panic, social anxiety disorder, and obsessive compulsive disorder. Exposure therapy aims to help people work through their fears and avoidance by gradually and safely exposing clients to what they're afraid of. EMDR, or eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, is a structured type of therapy that encourages people to briefly focus on traumatic experiences while making specific eye movements, 
which when paired together is associated with a decrease in vividness and emotions associated with the trauma memories. And play therapy is just like it sounds. It's an approach that uses play to allow children to freely express themselves and their emotions. It's typically used with kids between the ages of three and 12, but can be used with those that are older. So how do you determine which approach is best for you and your counseling needs? Truthfully, there's no specific equation for this. It's often a trial and error process, but here are a couple of helpful tips. As you're looking for a therapist, you'll want to read their websites or any provider profiles to learn what approaches they use and to get a sense of their style. When you reach out to therapists to inquire about their services before you set up an appointment, it's important to ask them questions to help you determine if their approach and style feel like it would be a good fit for you. Be very specific with your questions. Ask them, how would you help me deal with fill in the blank? with whatever it is you need help with. Or ask them, how does CBT or ACT or EMDR help someone dealing with blank? Whatever theories they use in their practice, ask them about that to see if you feel like that's something you think would be helpful for you. No question is a stupid question, and I really mean that. Clients don't typically know details about the therapeutic process, nor should they. So it's up to us providers to share that insight with you. So ask us those questions, which leads me to number four, where, where to find therapists. So this first tip is super important because I often find there's a misunderstanding about telehealth counseling services and what telehealth means, especially with the pandemic in play and many therapists providing telehealth or virtual counseling services, there's a common misunderstanding that therapists providing telehealth services can work with anyone living anywhere. Unfortunately, all counseling and therapy providers have state-specific professional licenses. So what does that mean? Well, there's regulations on who we can work with, and each state determines these professional rules. That translates to mean that therapists are only allowed to work with those who are in the state in which we are licensed. With that said, there are some exceptions to those rules. Some therapists are licensed in more than one state. Therefore, they can work with people living in all of the states they're licensed in. Additionally, some of the professional organizations for therapists are currently working on interstate compacts that will allow therapists to see clients virtually in other states. The American Psychological Association has created a compact, and the American Counseling Association is currently working on doing the same. These compacts will help, especially for niche-specific counseling focuses, such as food allergy counseling. But this still doesn't mean that every psychologist or licensed counselor can see clients in other states. Therefore, even if you're seeking out virtual therapy services, you'll need to find a provider in your own state or one who's licensed or able to practice in your state. An additional factor is insurance. You'll want to make sure that providers, either in your state or otherwise, are considered in-network with your insurance if you plan to use it. Even if you don't use insurance coverage for therapy services, it's important to discuss fees up front with any provider you're seeking services from in order to understand how they'll bill and what your financial responsibility will be. All of us clinical providers truly just want to help you all, but often, even during telehealth, there may be specific limitations that keep us from doing so. So where do you find therapists? 
Well, if you're looking for a general therapist or one that's not focused on food allergies or allergic conditions, here are some helpful places to look. You can call your insurance company or look on their website to find a list of therapists who are considered in-network for your insurance. Professional associations for therapists or psychologists are also a great place to find therapists that have specific clinical focuses, licensures, or theoretical approaches. So you can visit the American Psychological Association's directory, the American Counseling Association's directory, or for example, the AADA's directory. That's the Anxiety and Depression Association of America. Provider directories are also online. A common one is Psychology Today. The Postpartum Support International website is also available for those that are looking for prenatal and postpartum services, and Therapy in Color is a website to find providers of color. If you're looking for an allergy-informed therapist or therapists that truly understand allergic conditions and the needs of those managing allergies, visit the Food Allergy Counselor website for the Food Allergy Counselor directory at www.foodallergycounselor.com. If there isn't a provider listed in your state, consider asking allergists, dietitians, and local support groups for therapist referral names. And remember, especially with virtual therapy, the therapist doesn't need to be right near you or in your neighborhood, but they need to be in your state. Okay, so let's review what we've explored in this first episode of season two. We looked at why people might feel ready to seek counseling. We discussed which providers typically provide therapy services. We explored what types of therapy and approaches are commonly available. And we looked at where to find therapists who can help you. I'll offer some final tips about therapy before we end this episode. A huge part of therapy is the therapeutic relationship with your provider, with your counselor or therapist. That may not develop within the first session or even the first couple of sessions. I always encourage people to try a handful of sessions with these providers to see if it feels like the right fit before deciding it's not. However, if you find that it's just not working, it's not a good fit, or you're not finding it helpful after giving it a good chance, it's absolutely okay to let the provider know. They'll likely want to explore that with you and may even help you find a provider that's a better fit. If you're unsure about reaching out to a counseling provider, please know that we get it. We know that it's not always easy to make the decision that you need support. Sometimes you're just not sure. Do I need support? Do I not? I know that I'm not feeling well. Just by making that call or sending the email to a provider, you can have that conversation and they can help you figure that out. You're taking the first step towards taking care of your mental health or the mental health of your child or someone in your family. And just like you'd reach out to a doctor or allergist about a physical concern, we need to take care of our emotional and mental health too. It's all connected. If you want to learn more about finding an allergy-informed therapist, head over to the Food Allergy Counselor website blog. There'll be a link to that specific blog post and links to common therapist directories in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining me for today's episode of Exploring Food Allergy Families. We'll be exploring some great topics in season two, so be sure to subscribe and share this podcast with others. And as always, remember that your feedback is always welcome. Until we connect for the next episode, be good to yourselves and take care. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode of Exploring Food Allergy Families. 
Be sure to subscribe via your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss future ones. And if you're looking for an allergy-informed behavioral health care provider or for additional resources on any of the topics discussed in these podcasts, visit the Food Allergy Counselor directory and website at www.foodallergycounselor.com.